This is the word of God. Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, also do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we didn't, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Thank you for reading, Renee. I... Uh... I'm the administrative pastor here at the church. My name is John Fox. If I haven't met you, love to do that after. Um, this morning, um, the passage that we have is um, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard. It's also like a level up. I was thinking about it that way. This is kind of a level up in terms of maturity for believers to hear these words from Jesus. And... Um, that's probably one of the reasons why he saved it towards the end of the Sermon on the Mountain, not the beginning. Um, you, if you made it through the first part, then you're really sticking around to see what happens here. So uh, there's, there's lots of good things that Jesus has to uh, teach us today. And um, just by way of quick review here, uh, Jesus is really doing this to, to sum up for us what it means to be a virtuous person. Through the Sermon on the Mount, he has uh, talked not just about being a moral person. In fact, he starts to say that if you want your righteousness to exceed that of the Pharisees, then you need to, um, you need to, uh, or, or you won't be able to get into heaven. You really have to be more righteous than the Pharisees. To which everyone says, "How are we going to do that? That's crazy." Uh, and Jesus says, "You're you're not even getting the point here," you know. Um, so at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is really going to uh, turn for us and lay out a warning. It is a sober warning. And as uh, we go through it, my hope is that you would, you would receive it, you would take it in, and it would be a warning that would unnerve you. It would cause you to think about whether or not you actually know Jesus and not every Sunday we have to do that, but um, this Sunday at least, Jesus does do that pretty clearly. And, and so we want to uh, really take in what he says here. And um, before we do that, I'd like to just go ahead and pray. So I invite you to pray with me. Father, would you give us open hearts today as we come to your word, as we come to you, and we listen and learn and 
God, that, that your words would not be lost on us, but rather that they would uh, be fruitful, they'd be profitable, and they would end up producing for us a harvest of righteousness um, for you. God, and would you give us the ability to really be honest with our own hearts, honest with ourselves about uh, what we think about you and our motivations for even coming here this morning. Father, um, we cling to you, we look to you, and we need your help in all these things, and we ask in your son's name, amen. All right, so if you haven't, go ahead and turn to Matthew 7. We're going to be in... uh, verses 12 through 23, and Jesus, like I said, he turns here. He turns from these kind of um, uh, virtuous teachings where he has talked about, as he began the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed um, are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. So blessed, blessed, blessed. And as Jesus does that, he is going to lay out a new picture for how God's kingdom should operate in the world. One way to say it, like I did a few weeks ago, is to, is to say that if you could imagine what the earth would be like if heaven were here, this is what it would be like. Jesus says, in my future kingdom, in the, in the kingdom of heaven, this is what the kingdom will be like. Uh, people will be blessed, and it will be filled with the people that you wouldn't expect to see there. And uh, the peop- only people that get in are people that know that they have this enormous need and they could never get in of their own effort. And, um, and all these moral teachings about fasting and prayer and uh, giving to the poor and uh, all, all these other moral teachings about not murdering and adultery and uh, disdaining uh, marriage and divorce and lying. And so Jesus is going to go through a bunch of moral stuff that we could easily just encapsulate it that way. Moral stuff. But it's more than that. And we know that because uh, in Matthew 7, verse 12, where we left off last week, Jesus says this Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus does a really amazing thing here, and that is to summarize the entire Old Testament. Have you ever read the Old Testament? Have you ever read all of the Old Testament? Uh, Most people normally drop out when they get to Numbers or Leviticus, you know, uh, if they try to do the whole uh, reading the Bible in a year program. And it's hard, and there's a lot involved, but Jesus just will sum up the whole thing in loving your neighbor as yourself. And he does this later on, too. Um, And uh, what he leaves out here is that it's not only that, it's also loving God, but he'll get there. So when Jesus kind of sums all this up to say that the Old Testament and everything that he's been talking about, again, in this new kingdom, can be summed up by doing for your neighbor what you want them to do for you is a very simple way to address everything. A very simple way to summarize everything. And it's accurate, very accurate. Uh, There's a lot of rabbis during Jesus' time and before 
who uh, were attempting to do the same thing. So, you know, when the lawyers come up to Jesus and they're like, well, what's the whole point of the scriptures? And Jesus tells them, they're like, well, he, he got the answer right, I guess. You know, good. wasn't expecting that. Um, it's because there was kind of a debate raging in Jesus' time of what is the main point? How do you summarize it? And some people said, well, yes, it is, it is that, but they said it differently. They said that it was... If, if somebody doesn't do something, um, if somebody does something bad to you, then you don't want to do that bad either, you know? It's not just, not just um, doing the, the positive side, but the negative side. They focused on if someone does something bad to you, Jesus says, if somebody does something good for you. So uh, Jesus really has a, a different take on this. And it is to say that there's a greater level of righteousness that is not only available to you as my disciples, but also is demanded of you as my disciples. And uh, as he does that, he, he will summarize um, the Old Testament. And it's not, it's not hard for us here. I realized it was not hard for us this past week, again, when I got home and I had one of my uh, four boys there uh, at the threshold of the door, just as I opened. And he was standing there looking sad, looking dejected and guilty. And I thought, okay, what's the, what's the first thing here, you know? And so um, I tell him, I tell him, uh, you know, do you have something to, to tell me? And, and he said, yes. I said, okay, what is it? So we start talking. Normally parenting moments like this aren't always the, um, I, I'm not the kindest, say that. Um, but this was a good moment. It was a good teaching moment. And so he was really tender, and I was able to pull out of him what he'd done. And I said, so what'd you do? And, and he said, well, I jumped on his face. <laughs> and uh, I thought, uh, jumped on his face. There's no universe that that's a good thing. Like, there's, there's no, like, you know, I was trying to help him, or he was in danger, like... None of that happens. Just I jumped on his face, and so um, come to find out, yes, it was it was one of the kids that actually jumped on the year and a half old's face as he was laying on his back on the floor, uh, and, and he wanted to see what would happen, I guess. And so as I talked with him about it, I just said, you know, was that wrong? He said, yes, it's wrong. I said, why is it wrong? He said, because I don't want him to do that to me. I said, yes, that's right. You summarized the Old Testament. Good job. So it's not hard, it's not hard for us to understand this or to know it. It is very hard for us to do this. Very hard for us to do this. And so Jesus takes this moment to turn and to say, if you really want to, to apply this teaching about loving your neighbor as yourself, then you're going to have to also address your own heart. You're also going to have to address your own life. And there is a, a main point here that Jesus gets in, and uh, I, I think that we can capture it this way. For, for today, Jesus' main point is that Jesus' disciples must consider if they are truly his disciples or not. Jesus' disciples must consider if they are truly his disciples or not. And I said at the beginning that this is a little bit of a level up because this is not something that we naturally do. This is not something we naturally want to do. The 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 haunting thought that we may actually not be a believer in Jesus 
is something that we turn away from pretty quickly. And uh, I don't think that Jesus wants us to do that. It's one thing to stay in that kind of situation where every day you're just doubting whether or not you know Jesus, doubting whether or not you love him, doubting whether or not that his blood was sufficient to purchase uh, you and to cleanse you. That's something different. Jesus is going to take some time here, though, to focus in and say, what path are you on? And so, so Jesus, as he's talking about whether or not we are his disciples— and the crowd of people, of course, that are around him on the mountain in the first place, is uh, he's going to, I think, provide three, three ways of talking about this. Number one is Jesus is going to talk to these people and to us about two paths. Jesus here is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. So this week, he gives two paths and then two trees. And next week, he gives two foundations. And, um, and so this week, uh, the first thing that we see here is that Jesus' focus is on two different ways of living. In verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. I'm sure that this is not the first time that you have heard of this concept. Two different ways to live. One narrow way, even, uh, what's the, the uh, poem by Robert Frost, that uh, two paths emerged in the wood, and I took the lesser one, and it has made all the difference. Even for Robert Frost, there's this concept that there are two different ways to live, and if you go the broad way, it will be easier, it will be nicer, it will be more fun, uh, there will be more people, probably, but it's not the better way. Is Robert Frost right? Uh, I think he's right, but maybe not for the reasons he thinks he is. And, um, and so we see Jesus as he begins here, he, that he really takes the, the posture of a wisdom teacher. When you go back and you read the Old Testament, specifically Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you see that Jesus is putting himself in the seat of a uh, wisdom teacher. As Proverbs begins, there's really two voices going on. One is uh, Lady, Lady Wisdom, and the other is Lady Folly. And uh, there's also a, a, a male teacher at one point in the book. But the point is that uh, the, the wise teacher is the one who's saying, broadcasting to everybody, if you want to be wise, if you want to be uh, mature, if you want to be wealthy even, if you want to be a good person, then go this narrow route walk on this path. And so we have so many places in the Psalms where David especially is praying to the Lord, Lord, incline my heart to your ways. Lord, keep my, fa- my, my feet from going off this path to the left, but keep going straight ahead. And so Jesus picks up that language to say, I'm going to give you the path now. I'm going to describe it to you. And the narrow path, it leads to life. Who doesn't want life? And the broad path goes to destruction. Who wants destruction? But Jesus, as he's speaking here and taking this wisdom uh, teacher posture, also is going to give us some strong commands that go along with it. And here's where I think we have the first dissonance in what Jesus is talking about. You see, in... uh, In secular terms, a lot of people do not have a problem whatsoever with Jesus being a good moral teacher. 
A lot of people like that. A lot of people can respect it. But Jesus is far more than a good moral teacher here. He's certainly doing that. But Jesus begins this section with an imperative. That is to say, stop what you're doing and do this right now. It's a command. Enter the narrow gate. Enter the narrow gate. So Jesus isn't just saying, well, there's one way to live and there's another way to live. And some people do this, some people do that. And it's, it's okay for some people, but, you know, other people, like, they, they have other preferences. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He is saying, go this way if you want to live. And he commands us to do so. And even that, I think, is not really that big of a problem for us. Uh, especially here in this room, because we hear Jesus, and much like the Jews that were listening, we say, well, yes, great. This is, this is good. I heard this all the time growing up. Go the narrow path. Yes, it's harder. It'll be more difficult. Um, there's bound to be some sadness wrapped up into it and some hard work, but I'm not afraid of hard work, so I'm taking the narrow path. Again, not what Jesus is saying. Um, and, and here's a couple reasons why Jesus is not saying that the narrow path essentially equates to a moralistic way of living. The Jews that Jesus is talking to uh, are somewhat of a mixed crowd, but they are mainly his disciples. And when you look in the rest of the Gospels, one of the main things that Jesus does is decry the Pharisees for moralistic, religious, outward exterior behavior. That is absent of a heart that actually loves God. That's one of the main things that Jesus is doing in his public ministry. It's not just healing people, not just teaching the Bible, but he comes to decry, to denounce, to condemn even religious people that think they're on the narrow path. That is a large portion of Jesus' ministry. And so when Jesus is going through the Gospels and teaching, we have to keep in mind that when he talks about a narrow path and a broad path, Jesus is not assuming that religious people are on the narrow path. Uh, this is very different from the way that I grew up, uh, whether it was Adventures in Odyssey or, you know, uh, a lot of dif- different kind of um, uh, Christian culture kind of influences that were not bad. I don't think they were bad. Um, but often the message that can come through uh, religious teaching is just be a good person. Just make good choices. Just love your neighbor. Is it good to love your neighbor? Yes. Will loving your neighbor get you into heaven? No. Not by itself. And so Jesus here is not, he's not just talking about um, Pharisees. He's talking about more than Pharisees. Pharisees certainly thought they were on the narrow path. But the second thing that helps us here is to remember that Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jews. That is to say, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Israelites. If there's anybody in the world in a geographic location that thinks they're on the narrow path, it is the Jews. They have the covenants, Paul says. They have the the fathers. They have God's revelation. Their entire history, history is built on a tradition that we are God's chosen people. We are on the narrow path. God put us there. But then later on in Romans, of course, Paul says that not all Israel is going to be saved. That the people who are actually the descendants of Abraham are not the physical ones, 
They're the ones who are spiritually descendants of Abraham in faith. And so even the people that Jesus is talking to here, I'm sure when they first heard him think, oh, yes, great, those Romans. Yeah, they're on the the broad path. Romans out there taking advantage of us all the time and the other nations and did not think at all that they were on the narrow, that they were on the broad path. So there's some warning here for us and Jesus is going to press in here about it. uh, But we have good biblical precedent to look at this passage and to say, do I... Do I have an underlying assumption that I have always been on the narrow path because of the way I live, because of the moral things I do? It's a disturbing thought. It is a disturbing thought. But Jesus wants us to consider it. The broad path, say it this way, the broad path Jesus is talking about includes, it includes fleshly behavior immorality, and anything you think of that goes along with it. But it is also broad enough to include moralistic behavior. It's broad enough to include religious behavior. And that's really who Jesus is talking about here. And so our assumption coming into it as uh, church people often is, yes, that's the broad path and I'm not on it. Be careful. Be careful. Uh, Jesus wants us to consider what path we are on and at the same time to choose the narrow gate, to choose the narrow path. Dr. Uh, Jonathan Pennington, who's a gospel scholar, he talks about this passage this way. The broad and easy way is the way for the Pharisees whose righteousness is easily definable and can be gridded out solely on the external level. Not committing adultery, not murdering, and so on. The narrow and difficult way is Jesus' vision, a righteousness that requires deep roots and the exposure of one's whole person to God. True virtue. The imagery used here, then, is not a shift away from the theme of virtue, wholeness, as a greater righteousness, that Jesus has been emphasizing. Rather, it is an appropriate exhortation based on the same idea and making the eschatological urgency apparent. Eschatological just means end times. So Jesus, as an end times preacher here, is saying, you got to be really careful, really careful. If when I talk about narrow and broad paths, the first thing you think is I'm on the narrow path. Because that may be an indication. Again, I'm not saying this is for everybody. This is objectively true for you. But it may be an indication that you are just trying to live a religious life before Jesus. And it's not enough. Morals are not enough. Jesus wants more. He demands more. And so in this entire Sermon on the Mount... Jesus' virtuous teachings here are to say that it is a a whole heart, a united heart that God really wants. Not just outward behavior, whitewashed tombs. Jesus does not want us just acting like we have it all together. He wants us to freely confess our inadequacies. Those are the only people who get in this kind of kingdom. So Jesus wants us to consider whether we are his disciples or not. And it's very, uh, very uh, self-focused at this point. Jesus is talking to you in this room. But Jesus is going to turn here 
to not just talking about you and you self-evaluating, but now evaluating other people. And so that's where he goes in the next set of verses. And he says this. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you recognize them by their fruit. Uh, This is what I call the Dr. Seuss part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is going back and forth talking a lot about fruit, good and bad, good and bad. And um, there's some real uh, prime real estate here. Why would Jesus waste his words on talking about fruit and trees so much? Uh, Jesus is, like I said, talking about two paths, which is a fairly benign thing. Paths. What did they do? You know, good or bad. But now Jesus moves from talking about paths to the outworking, the, the fruit or the evidence of what taking these paths looks like. So he says, be on your guard. Be on guard. And before we really dig into what Jesus is talking about for this warning, I think we have to put it in the right category. Jesus is talking about a certain category. This is very important stuff. And we often kind of conflate our own preferences with the same level of urgency that Jesus is talking about here. So we need to, we need to not do that. Jesus does not say, be on guard against unvaccinated people or vaccinated people. Or homeschoolers. I was homeschooled, so I can always poke fun at homeschoolers. Or public schoolers. Jesus is not doing that. These these are not preferential issues. Jesus is saying, way above preference, I'm telling you, there is a danger and you need to look out. You need to be aware. You need to be on guard. And so, in this category of intensity, Jesus says that we really have to uh, watch not only our own lives, but others' lives. And again, this is a little bit next level kind of Christian stuff. Jesus just said at the beginning of this chapter, do not judge, right? What's he doing here? Now he's kind of sounding like he's saying you should judge. Um, Jesus isn't using the same word. But when he's talking about judging in, at the beginning of the chapter, he's really saying, don't prejudge people. Don't like make snap judgments and just write them off and say, oh, they're a believer. They're not a believer. Who do you? Who are you? How do you know that? That's Jesus's point. And here he's, he's trying to get us into a, uh, a really a more mature way of living, a mature way of being as a disciple to say that we are as Christians, supposed to, in the Christian life, look at other Christians and be able to say, that is godly behavior coming from a heart that loves God, or it's not. It is a mark of maturity as a believer to be able to recognize, discern, um, and observe what is happening around you and, and to live accordingly. 
Um, this, is, uh, this is hard. This is hard for me. It's probably hard for you too. It's hard for me because uh, for me, I have been a Christian long enough now to have many mentors and friends leave the faith. And so when I read this passage, I don't have obscure people in mind when Jesus says, like, be on your guard against false prophets or we could say false preachers or wolves. I have names. I have relationships. Or I have not relationships now. And, and so this is a heavy thing that Jesus calls us to do, but nonetheless, we're called to do it. And in the Christian life, if you have not yet experienced this, you will. You will have people, you will have pastors, you will have mentors, you will have family, uh, you will have friends that eventually get to a point where they say, yeah, I didn't really believe that stuff. Stop telling me how to live. And that's the kind of person that Jesus is talking about, that eventually to say, when you see that kind of behavior, when, when you see somebody who, who has a dream and they've received a re- revelation from God, and now that uh, they have that, they're going to write the la- last book in the scriptures. All the way down from that level down to, well, all you really need to do is just be a good person. That kind of spectrum Jesus is talking about to say, that's a wolf. That's a wolf. And in the New Testament, even before the pages of the New Testament close, we see Paul and Barnabas and Peter and John and James, all these apostles running around. And one of the main things that they're doing in the early church is trying to help people deal with false doctrine, false teaching. Wolves are rampant in the church. And so much of the New Testament that we have is written because of this reality. That Jesus knew that there would be wolves that want to lead people away from the truth. Whether that is going to be something audacious or it's going to be something that's very subtle and it sounds good. So a mark of maturity for us as believers is to to recognize that kind of stuff. And the harder part about this for me, I mean, it's hard having friends that shared the gospel with uh, in other countries, spent nights with in prayer, we've taught the Bible together, we've gone on mission trips together, done all kinds of things. It is very hard for them to leave the faith and, and keep going. It's a harder thing to take this kind of passage and see the way that people live, who I thought were more godly than I was, uh, love Jesus more than I did, and then to say, well, if they didn't make it, how am I going to make it? It's a disturbing thought. But Jesus wants us to have it because if we can do it, if we can go that, to that place and think about what really saves us, then we will actually be on very solid ground. We'll be on very solid ground, not on a kind of ground where we've propped ourselves up on our own good works or the way that we treat people, but we'll be propped up on Jesus' work. And so Jesus, in his second point here about two trees, is to say that we really need to be a kind of people that can, as mature believers, be able to sort out 
people's lives. Not that we're making the final determinations about them. Not that we're looking at their lives and saying, oh, well, yes, you are, you are getting drunk. Therefore, you are not a believer. That's not what Jesus says. Um, but we are to have a measure of sobriety and maturity to be able to live life correctly. And before we move on, I just want to provide a caveat here. Jesus is not saying that as believers, we need to be fruit inspectors. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. He's not saying that we need to be in the church, people who are going around to say, well, it's, did you pray enough? Yeah, I don't think you prayed enough. I don't know. I don't see any fruit. You're probably not a believer. Have you read enough? Well, you didn't show up to prayer gathering. So, I mean, that says something. That's not our job. That's not our job. Uh, we are to encourage each other and build each other up in the faith. Hebrews says a lot about that. But it is not our job to jump in and to start assessing people's spiritual growth, or even worse, to take our own spiritual maturity, we think, and then to compare that to other people. That's not what God wants us to do. But we are to have a measure of maturity and uh, discernment about us as believers. And that's really important for us to do so because of this next example that Jesus is going to give us. In Matthew 7, this is the third thing. That Jesus, he, he not only tells us two paths and two kinds of trees, but he will also give us two kinds of endings. We will get one of two kinds of endings, Jesus says. And so he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So before moving on, Jesus is saying there's a kind of person that does the will of my father. And he's going to get into heaven. He's on the narrow path. Now, what would you expect that kind of person to look like or be? My guess is it's different than all of us would naturally think. Because Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers, or you workers of lawlessness. Jesus wants us to consider if we're truly his disciples because he knows that one day we're going to have to stand before him as judge over the living and the dead and give an account. And on that day, Jesus will be the one to either say, Enter into the glory of my Father, or I never knew you. He knows what the ending is here. And so, uh, in a, a loving fashion, Jesus warns everyone, whatever path, he warns everyone because he wants everyone to enter through the narrow gate. It is a, it, it's a shocking ending, and the, the real shocking nature of it is that this person that Jesus brings up is not a person you would expect to see. It's not a person that you would expect Jesus to talk to in this way. And to slow down a little bit uh, here, Jesus says, this person says to him at the judgment time, Lord, Lord, this person has great theology. They, they're not a person who says, Lord, uh, or good moral teacher. Good moral teacher. 
It's not that kind of person. This person knows that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. That their entire life is meant to be lived for him. This is good theology. So they say, Lord, Lord. But they're not just saying the right things. They're doing the right things too. Uh, Three different times Jesus points this out to us to really emphasize it. But he says that, that this kind of person, what do they do? Do not just say they prophesied in his name. Another way you could say that is uh, preaching. They preached in his name. Or um, you could say that they, they rightly spoke the oracles of God to other people. Is it good to, to, to preach or to teach right theology? Yes. No trick question. It is good. And so some people benefited from this person. In their teaching. Because they did it in his name. And then not only that. But this person also did some, some really radical things for Jesus. Things that I don't think most of us could put on our, put on our resume here. Um, he drove out satanic spirits, this person. From people in spiritual bondage. Is it good for demons to be driven out of people? Yes! No, no question about it. Is it good when Jesus did it? Yes. Is it good when anyone drives a demon out of somebody? Yes. That doesn't mean, though, that that person who did it really knows Jesus. Isn't that clear? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? And then if that wasn't clear enough, Jesus says, and this person who I'm going to say, depart from me, I never knew you, did miracles in my name. So demons is like, okay, I don't know. That's next level stuff. But miracles? We're talking miracles like Jesus did miracles. Healing crippled people. People who are on their deathbed and sick, healing them. Uh, maybe breaking bread and providing food miraculously. My guess is that you've never seen stuff like this. And so Jesus says... If you could imagine somebody who, who did all, said all the right things and did all the right things, and everyone who saw them thought, man, they are really godly. They really know Jesus. They really are following him. Jesus says, I never knew him. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't do good works, that we shouldn't uh, do these kinds of things that this person is doing. He's saying that this person who does these things yet doesn't really love him from the heart is not a disciple. It's not a disciple. The response is terrible. I never knew you depart from me. And if there are any more haunting words in the Bible, I don't, I don't know if we could handle them. This is, this is something that I'm terrified, terrified to hear, terrified for other people to hear. But we see that Jesus, he, he doesn't base true discipleship on what anyone has done. Rather, he bases it on whether or not he knows them. Did you catch that? When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. He's saying, I never knew you. Like me. It's not about you. 
It's not about you and all these great things that you say that you did. It's about whether or not you love me in doing them. And this is Jesus' main cry against the Pharisees. Yeah, you do good stuff, but you do it for you. You don't do it for me. Charles Spurgeon uh, talks about this passage this way. He says, Christ knows all who have ever sought his face with repentance and faith. But these people, though they had prophesied in his name and cast out devils and done many wonderful works, had never repented or believed in Jesus. You remember those verses by John Newton. Dost thou ask me who I am? Ah, my Lord, thou knowest my name. Yet the question gives a plea to support my suit with thee. Once a sinner near despair sought thy mercy seat by prayer. Mercy heard and set me free, Lord, that mercy came to me. And if we respond to Jesus' words here, the response should be, Lord, I don't want to be someone who never knew you or that you didn't know. Our response should be, Lord, forgive me. Forgive my pride. Forgive my moral, religious behavior that is absent from you. Those are the kind of people that are on the narrow path who are willing to do the hard work of not making the right choices, but are, are willing to do the hard work of looking internally and saying, do I actually know him? Do I actually love him? And so for us today, we have that same call and we also have this same assurance offered to us that here's the, here's the best thing about this passage. Even though it's very hard to hear and hard to apply to ourselves, if, here's the good news, if Jesus knows you, that's all you need. That's all you need. Your, your salvation, your discipleship, your maturity as a Christian is not based, the foundation of it is not based on you. It's not based on the good things that you will do or you have done. The foundation of it is based on the fact that Jesus knows you. That if you have turned to him, like Spurgeon says here, and repented and believed, the reason you did that is because Jesus knew you and loved you. Romans uh, says it this way, Paul says it this way in Romans, that just at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Or to the Ephesians, he says that while you were still dead in your trespasses and sins, God made you alive with Christ. So our assurance really can't be and shouldn't be based on anything that we do, but rather on the last day in the day of judgment here, instead of hearing, depart from me, I never knew you, you lawbreakers, that we hear, welcome to the kingdom of my father based on what I did. And so as we close here today, I, I want us to, to turn a corner here and think about a couple different of life examples. Because some of you, I think, in going through this um, will probably deal with it pretty quickly, and then others of you may be, it may be crushing. And Jesus doesn't want that. What he does want, though, is for us to soberly assess our lives. And so, just as an example, we need to remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, two men fled into the darkness. Both betrayed him, 
Both were his disciples. Both were the closest friends he ever had. And if you were to look at that moment in time and say that Peter and Judas were not believers, you'd be horribly wrong. Horribly wrong. So if you're in a, a moment, a place in life where you're just crushed by some, some life situation, some sin, um, don't forget, Peter betrayed the one and only Son of God. But he came back because Jesus knew him. Jesus didn't know Judas. He left Judas. So for us this morning, as you consider Christ's call to this, this sober way of living, a sober way of assessing yourself, I hope you keep in mind, Jesus loved both men equally. He loved them equally. So much so that no one knew who Judas was. They didn't know he was a betrayer. They all thought he was one of the good guys. And Jesus loves us all that way. So as we close here, I just want to consider very quickly uh, three points of application. One, in light of this passage, we need to reconsider what it means to be on the narrow path. I hope that's something that you really take from this and you take to heart. Uh, what are the underpinnings, the assumptions that you have for, for being on the narrow path? Second, that as believers, we need to exercise some judgment. We need to exercise some discernment, some maturity. It's not a bad thing to do, to do that. And it may be a step for you in growth to be able to say, maybe I need to think a little bit more critically about, um, about the things that people say. But at the same time, at the same time, not, uh, not judging people eternally. And third, affirm God's work in a brother or sister in Christ for all of us. When you see somebody else that, that you see like real evidence of loving Jesus in, tell them. It's encouraging. We need to hear that. We need to know that. And uh, God uses that often in our own weakness and our own lack of faith to encourage us and help us to realize that, you know what? Jesus knows me. Maybe I don't have the best grip on it or understand it the best sometimes, but other people see it. And I believe Jesus knows me. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that um, you know us and you love us. And you have given to us, you have given to us the command to enter the narrow gate, to walk the narrow path. And that path is your way, it's not our way. Lord, so I ask that um, you would give us the courage to have some introspection and do that, and to rely on your good work and not on ours. Father, I also ask for anyone here this morning that is feeling overwhelmed or uh, discouraged by, by your teaching here this morning, God, that that would fall off of them and they wouldn't be discouraged, but rather that you would provide a, a strong assurance, strong confidence for them and knowing that if they have believed in you, if they have chosen to uh, repent of their sins and turn to you and cling to you, then that's all they need. That's all they need. Lord, so we ask that you would lead us in all these ways and you would cause us with these mindsets to enter into this week with a life that is really excited about sharing this news 
to other people, that they, they can be on the narrow path. They can, it's hard, it's hard for now, but that they can have life everlasting. So Lord, we thank you for giving your son so that we may have life everlasting. It's in his name that we pray, amen.